Big Finish for the love of stories. You're listening to the Big Finish podcast, released date Sunday, the 12th of March, 2023. Shadow Control to Sky One. Open fire now. Destroy that UFO. But, sir. That is a direct order. Open fire. Firing now. Oh, it's lovely to be back with you. I'm Benji Clifford, he's Nick Briggs, this is Big Finish, audiobooks, audio drama and this podcast, all for the love of stories. In a moment, Benji and I will be presenting and dissecting another epic, thoroughly entertaining email from our superb new First Doctor actor Stephen Noonan, making quite a hit on the convention circuit... Following that, the good review guide, known to some as the good review guy, yeah. reviews the reviews of the Ninth Doctor Adventures, old friends. Old friend. Old, old boy. <laughs> An old friend. Sarah Jane always knew you'd go distinguished. Then we go behind the scenes with UFO Breaking Point, based on Jerry and Sylvia Anderson's sci-fi action series from the 1970s. And here, featuring the introduction of iconic hero Paul Foster, in Lost in Action. Hello, my name is Barnaby Kay and I play Commander Ed Straker. Following that, it'll be time for listeners' emails sent to podcast at bigfinish.com. Excellently electronic mail action. That was electronic mail. Oh, thank you. Uh, in our also available segment this week, we stick with UFO Breaking Point, going behind the scenes with a mind-bendingly time-bending episode entitled... Assassination time. Hello, I'm Jeannie Spark and I'm playing Lieutenant Colonel Virginia Lake. Then the random Woods Electrotron will once again be delivering a random release with a 25% discount deftly attached to it by Big Finish content manager Jackie Emery. Hooray! Here's a clip that Nick will cleverly edit in later. Oh, must be clever. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, as always, we round off the podcast with a free 15-minute drama tease. And this week, it's UFO Lost in Action by Jamie Anderson and me. <laughs> Moonbase control to reactor control. Please confirm countdown to full power grid activation. Confirming. Activation in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Activation confirmed. Thank you, Reactor Control. We have full power to all Moonbase systems. Popular move here, that's for sure. So, I'm sorry about any noise in the background. There's a man in my garden turning it into a nice garden. A man. Uh, A man in the (laughs) garden. He just walked in and started turning it into a nice garden. Uh, Can you blame him? It's It's his job, after all. And I was going to mention earlier when we were chatting, Benji, that uh, he's been kneeling in the corner sorting out a particular part of the garden and I didn't have it in me to tell him that's where the cat does her business. <laughs> I thought but you were I going to say something like, he was in front of the door, so I opened the door. <laughs> smacked in the face. <laughs> Pierce Brosnan is in fact the gardener. <laughs> okay, so Noonan alert. Here we go. Email from Stephen Noonan. Here it is. Here's the Noonan alert. Wait for it. Apparently, apparently that was the alert. Quite loud. A bit unnecessary. Wow. Uh, subject line, shine on Martian moons. 
Dear Nick and Benji and Benji and Nick and Elizabeth and Barry and Ian and Barbara and Susan and David and Stephen and Vicky and Katerina and Sarah Kingdom and Dorothea and Ben and Polly and Jamie and Zoe and Victoria and Liz and Alistair and the lads and Joe and Cliff and Sarah and Harry and Leela and Andred and both the Romanas and all the Tin Dogs and Adric and Nissa, Tegan and Turlo, Chameleon and Perry, Mel and Ace and Rose, Martha and Donna and Amy and Rory and Clara and Bill and Graham, Yaz, Ryan and Dan and Ruby Sunday, but also especially Ben and Luke, the Pertwee Smith boys and Justin Bush, not to mention Justin B. Quinnick of the Fourth Universe and David and Toby and Peter Nolan and Tony Exas, Filer and Rodney Havatin of Glam Adelaide and Jacob Licklider and Dwayne and Philip and Oz Chris and Professor Pixel and Mr. Tardis and Gabe, but not Dave and Richard Lloyd and his friend Miles Taylor and Peter Adamson and the curly Josh Scales and Rory of Rassilon Productions and Spook Cobb Corpse at No, Not the Memes and Stefan Gombridge of Utrecht in the Netherlands and Tim Ferguson and Tim Coombe and Michael Ferguson and Michael Edwin Bryant. Oh, and of course, Peggy Mout. Oh, great. And anyone else that I've missed who knows me, but notwithstanding anyone else who doesn't know me. <laughs> just like to say I had to do two edits in that to make me sound as if I was reading it properly uh, I just wanted to add an addendum to the February story when we're talking about stories being released in February Doctor yeah, Who stories yeah. broadcast yeah. catalogue delineated in the podcast the other week and just before you cry irrelevant anachronistic and untopical as it's not February anymore uh, just hold your horses <laughs> because this story's final episode six was broadcast on yes the sixth and please pronounce this correctly, I did, of March 1976. Oh, you mean Mayrich? <laughs> Mayrich. <laughs> that is the correct pronunciation. Uh, I was kicking myself afterwards for omitting it, and appropriately enough, given the unusual levels of violence in it, I almost kicked myself to death. <laughs> I'd heard myself whimpering as I struggled to rise from amongst the dustbins. Can't we just talk this over, Noonan? Um, You'll have guessed from these subtle references that I'm referring to what Tom Baker, with his infallibly total recall of his era, refers to as the one with the giant plants, or the crinoid invasion, or invasion of the crinoids. I'm appalled that I left it out, as it may be my all-time favourite story, and it's by far the favourite classic era story of my son Sam. During many surreal and unforgettable encounters in Los Angeles the other week, that's at Gallifrey 1, I found myself enthusing late into the night about, yes, you guessed it, The Seeds of Doom, with Dr. Matthew Sweet and his incredible glasses. And we agreed that, by way of a wonderful emblematic example of the differences between the Hinchcliffe and Letts era, if Barry had made it, the ecologically fixated Harrison Chase would definitely have been the hero of the story and not the villain. Interesting How point. Not sure I agree. Uh, Matthew Sweet, who is now Tom Baker's, along with everyone else's, favourite Doctor Who interlocutor, told me the story about the very first time he interviewed the fourth Doctor. It was in the 90s for The Big Issue magazine. For those that might not know, The Big Issue is a charitable publication sold but not written by the homeless. However, Tom appeared to have assumed or decided to pretend he believed that Matthew was not actually a journalist with a PhD from Oxford, but an unfortunate pauper sleeping rough on the streets of London 
Hamilton and thus kept murmuring empathetically, You poor boy, I'm so sorry, it must be ghastly for you. Initially a bit thrown by this reaction, Matthew said that he later realised that Tom had, perhaps intentionally, whoever can say, uh, provided him with the most hilarious opening paragraph. But to return briefly to the February-March 1976's The Seeds of Doom, it was also a story particularly cherished by those two stalwart champions of Doctor Who, Mrs Mary, strangulation by hand, by claw, by obscene vegetable matter, and just for a little variety, why not show all the children how to make a Molotov cocktail, White House, <laughs> and my grandmother, who Nick suggested chillingly the other week, may indeed, after all, have been one and the same person. <laughs> Yes, I did rather. Um, the evening episode two of The Seeds of Doom was transmitted. My parents were supposed to have picked me up from her house to take me home to watch it, but they were delayed. No. By 1976, of course, Doctor Who clashed with that memorable ITV icon of everything that was on the other side to Doctor Who, New Faces. This cornucopia of crapola was commissioned by none other than one Mr. Michael Grade. Need I say more? asks Stephen. Anyway, it was alongside Coronation Street, my grandmother's favourite programme. Good taste. As 5.30 inexorably approached, it became increasingly clear that a choice of viewing would have to be made. Believe it or not, my grandmother lived in a large house, for Merseyside, inexplicably and unnervingly called Castle Coma. <laughs> well, that's weird. Ooh, that's, I don't like that. It's that creepy, is, that. That's a good name for a story, isn't it? Castle Doctor Who. Coma. Castle Coma. Uh, it had two lounges, the main one with the colour telly and the portrait of Winston Churchill over the mantelpiece. <laughs> Sums up a beautiful picture, doesn't it? And the other one, a secondary control room, if you will, with a black and white set <laughs> that probably hadn't worked since the Suez crisis. <laughs> <laughs> makes me laugh. Um, <laughs> but you could get a nice snowstorm and random intermittent voices on it. <laughs> Realising that at least some spurious gesture in the direction of her little grandson uh, seeing his favourite programme was probably demanded of her, she spent about ten minutes whacking it violently with an ornamental <laughs> shillelagh she'd brought back <laughs> from a trip to Ireland. <laughs> It's it soon having become apparent that any attempt on this appliance to achieve reception was futile. She suddenly, wordlessly and aggressively switched it off, marched us briskly back into the main lounge, turned on the colour telly and, for perhaps the only time in all the Saturdays of her existence, pressed the BBC um, One button. Yes. Bam, bam, bam. She had chosen to make the supreme sacrifice, but she wasn't going to concede defeat gracefully. <laughs> she would not go gentle into that Saturday night. She opened up the Daily Express, still a broadsheet in those days, and ostentatiously held it up high between herself and her view of the television and proceeded to rattle it noisily throughout. At the age of eight, it was, of course, inconceivable to me that anybody, even the most hardened of ITV viewers, could remain permanently immune to the charms and virtues of the greatest programme ever devised. So every time there was a particularly good bit, i.e. a Camfield close-up of Tom Baker or a shot of the Crinoig, I would gasp loudly, WOW! On a couple of occasions, in response to this invitation, my grandmother glanced briefly over the top of her paper and uttered, now I come to think of it, a sound that was almost identical to the one I do for William Hartnell, that Nick <laughs> particularly likes and can do himself, usually rendered on paper as, go on Nick, 
Huh. So yeah, I do. It, what is? How does it go? It goes like this. It goes. Um, <laughs> pretty good, eh? I bet you were transported back to the first. That was Doctor beautiful. Era. That was it. Those were the days, obviously, continues Stephen. And you kids today don't know you're flipping born. What? How would you describe that emoji? What's that emoji mean? Well, I seem to be in a bit of a pickle because the script is just gone white from this moment on. It says, those were the days, obviously, then there's nothing else. And then on the next page, it just says, and you kids don't know you're flipping born, and there's nothing else. Is the whole script gone? Yeah, it just vanishes after that point. So you've not got any of the rest of the script of the podcast? No, no. So how are we going to do the rest you of the podcast? You just have to re try, just resave it and resend it and see what, what happens. I'll put it's it gone. into an email. I'll, uh, anyway... Oh, uh, oh, well, that's presented me with a big difficulty. Anyway, February is indeed now over, and now it's March. And, of course, March is where my Doctor Who journey started 51 years ago with episode two of The Sea Devils and the terrifying burning through of the door scene. How synchronicitous, uh, no, it's then. All right. We've, it's all right. I, I found a way. I opened it on something else, and it's worked. So we're, oh, we're back in the room. Do you know what that emoji is? We go find it. After flipping balls. It's a raised eyebrow. Hmm, sort of, hmm, it's a sort of, you don't know when you're born, hmm? <laughs> How synchronicitous then that precisely 51 years later, on the 4th of March 2023, and a Saturday, last Saturday in fact, I should find myself at the BFI after the screening of that very story. And part of the team, along with a charmingly knowledgeable auburn-haired boy called John Dorney, that's what Tom Baker always used to call John Dorney, the auburn-haired boy, uh, that won the fiendish quiz of Rassilon. Good Lord. <laughs> the Sea Devils, like the Seeds of Doom, is one of what I call the spring cusp stories, in that it starts in February and concludes in March. The 1973 cusp story is Frontier in Space. What a banger that story is. Episode 1... 24th of February, saw the second scariest scene of my infancy, the Ogrons also burning through a door. <laughs> Not very surprisingly, monsters burning holes in doors became a recurring nightmare that still sporadically persists today. And I'm not especially keen when it happens in real life. Yeah, it's like, it's like lava, isn't it? You well, know, like, and quicksand, lava. things like that happen. Ooh. You know, you think... The amount of times that happens in real life, it blow, you know, it's terrifying, <laughs> isn't it? Well, lava, that's the problem. I've told this story before, and it's so interesting, I'll just repeat it, that when I was doing an industrial video with Keith Barnfather years and years ago, we went into a smelting factory, and there was all this molten iron, you know, iron ore bubbling away, and I had to leave because my sort of primal fear of lava because of Inferno, just I couldn't bear <laughs> being, and I just couldn't get out of my head the idea of falling into it. Wow. And I just had to tap Keith on the shoulder and say, mate, I have to get out of here. And he saw the look on my face and didn't question me. I must have. I was ashen faced. Anyway, I don't think I've ever been in a situation where anyone has burnt through a door. Have you? No, I'd like to be in that situation, but but, but safely observing. Look, come. Observing and not, not at the receiving end of it, you know. I don't oh, want you be... want to be burning through the door, is what you're saying? That would be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> but it would have to be with that Dalek, you know, the Dalek um, noise, the cut yeah. of whew, 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 noise. Oh, yeah, yeah, have yeah. Have to have that yeah. kind of, you know, that that sound ready for me. Uh, the next February March cusp story, just in case you thought this email was over, it isn't. Uh, was 1974's Death to the Daleks, oh. a serial code XXX. The one naughty. with the XX excellence. <laughs> Not a story to everyone's taste, but a very a great favourite of Mark and Barry here and myself. It's very true. <laughs> An old bazaar. 
it was we are mark and barry you realize that we are i know i know it was, of course, Death of the Daleks Episode 1's depiction of universal power loss that reminded everyone in the UK that Ted Heath's government had been causing theirs. So they went to the polling stations the following Thursday, the 28th of February, and voted him out. <laughs> well, nearly. It was a hung parliament. But another election in October decided it. And to simplify things preposterously, Harold Wilson came back, the power back came back on, John Pertwee regenerated into Tom Baker, the sun came out for the first time in the 1970s in the following glorious summer of 75 and stayed out until about 1979, when there was much news of the Shah and Shardar and Margaret Thatcher. Uh, <clears throat> that's not to say that everything in the garden was perennially rosy in the mid-1970s. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't say perennially. Uh, I could tell you a very disturbing story about how in March 1975 I missed episode three of perhaps the greatest March story of all, Genesis of the Daleks, oh, because no. of my Auntie Muriel's wedding. But don't worry, I won't. Not today, anyway. How would you describe that emoji? That looks to me like... Clenched teeth. Clenched teeth, yeah, like a sort of, like a sort of big smile, sort of clenched yeah. teeth, big smile kind Don't of. Don't worry. Uh, yours even more particularly nerdishly than usual, Steve-O, as Daisy Ashford <laughs> calls me, and Nicholas finds unnerving. It's true, Daisy Ashford, you know, who plays Liz Shaw, who's Carrie John's daughter, calls him Steve-O. Steve-O. What a Ste legend All right, Steve-O. Uh, P.S. If you're interested, and I know you are, the Talons of Weng Chiang is, is also a March story, as is Legopolis and the Caves of Androzani, not to mention Revelation of the Daleks. Don't mention Revelation of the Daleks. I mean, to be fair, that's a very solid March lineup, isn't it, really? It is. What is it, it is, about it, that March? Is, and maybe, maybe this is the new thing that you have to watch all the March stories in March so, you know that's that that has to be done well, he knows all this because he's got the BBC genome thing you know and they you can look up a guy yeah well, episode 3 of Genesis of the Daleks as well is a, is a great episode to miss that's really sad yeah or rather it is a great episode not good to miss yeah I see your point any further reaction to this before we move on well I'm just I'm just flabbergasted about how good the stories are in those times there yeah. it's a great and, email you know, isn't it I also love the idea of um, of Steve-O. No, um, yeah, from Steve-O. Of at the BFI with a massive broadsheet, just just reliving it and ruining it for everybody else. <laughs> everybody in there, everybody in there. Goes, wow. I think you've conflated several things there, but I like the image. Yeah, just I think I want to go to one of those BFI things with a massive broadsheet version. Yeah, of Yeah, just the, really, just really wind everybody up. Go, you, <laughs> me, and ten other people should have a huge newspaper in the front <laughs> row and just hold it up in front of the screen. God, that would be excellent, if, wouldn't if it? If they're yeah. ever going to screen Seeds of Doom. I think Seeds of Doom is with those, eminently with those big watchable. Stove, with stove hats on as well. You know? yeah. <laughs> Patrick Troughton hats. Yes, yes. yes. <sighs> Thanks, Steve-O. Well, Thanks, Steve-O. Thanks, Steve-O, Mike. Fantastic It does Australian, Steve-O, doesn't it? Steve-O? Steve-O. Steve-O. Yeah, it does. It very much does. Yeah. No, it's Mr. Noonan. Um, well, of course, it's time now for the Good Review Guide, finding the latest positive comments about Big Finish Productions to help recommend them for you. And as promised, this week we're looking at the Ninth Doctor Adventures, Old Friends. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, the Ninth Doctor Adventures, Old Friends. Welcome, welcome to my funeral. <laughs> Sarah Jane always knew you'd go distinguished. Or was that Harry? Explain the USP. Our premium service allows for the most personal farewell between the deceased and their loved ones that science can presently provide. 
for a few hours, we can restore their mind and body to the very peak of health. But what for? So the dead can return and attend their own funerals. Ori! What's wrong? I thought we were going at the same time. It would have looked amazing. Remember, killer on the loose. Yep, got that. Thanks. And try not to worry, but this is going to hurt. What, me? No, me! Brigadier Alistair Gordon Lethbridge-Stewart. Hello? You open? I only just got here, mate. Okay, whatever. Uh, one Americano, one hazelnut latte, as soon as you can. You what? You know about green men? <laughs> like you wouldn't believe. You love it. Every single moment, I can tell. Yes, well, it uh, pays to keep the hand in. That's why I've been helping out down at the base. What base is that? Running log of the HMS Columba experimental sub, day 312. At his son, the doctor's a sterling chap, and please, please call me Alistair. My shouting days are over. As you like, Alistair. I'm Sam Bishop, second lieutenant. What is this machinery about you, this fearsome engine? Big finish for the love of stories. He saved so many of them, no matter how dangerous it was. Wonderful work. Such a pity he's dead. Just go to bigfinish.com and type old friends into the search pane <laughs> at the top friends. to find this one. Old, old. Wazzle, wazzle, wazzle. Oh, wazzle, wazzle, that. <laughs> Salve, Dalve, oh. Adonai. Wazzle. Scarecrow maker. <laughs> you are a scarecrow maker. You made him, didn't you? Hmm? Then you must be the one to stop him. Now, I think I've just start turning into William Hartnell then. Um, I don't know. I've we must put our great. wits together and stop him. Um, pit, pit our wits. Pit our, pit our wits. That's a great. The best episode, in my opinion, of Wurzel Gummidge, hands down, is the one with Daft Head. the Dalek head. comes out of the water. Well, the Dalek oh, comes out. No, do, you, do you remember the one with Daft Head? Where no, Wurzel, no. Wurzel goes to his perch to find another Wurzel scarecrow Wurzel. there called oh. Daft Head, who is terrifying. Who, um, his, his mouth is a bit like this, you see. He's got a little gap. So when he talks, he's sort of like this, and he talks, he's sort of like that. That is terrifying. Um, but he looks, type into Google, type in daft head, daft. all one word, and you, you'll see it, it terrified kids. But it was a fantastic story, and Belden is brilliant in that. Just daft head should do it, Nat. Daft head, it should do it, all one word, no. daft head. Oh, okay, all one word, you didn't say that. Daft head. Nope. Into, put uh, it into images. I'm not terrified. or gummage. Interesting. No, just images of words. Oh, oh, yeah. Now, quite a long way down. Oh, it's sort of like clay on his face. It's like the most just terrifying. He's got a boxing yeah, glove for one hand. The most terrifying. terrifying. Oh, and there's a great one of Jeffrey Bailden here, actually, with Dart and a Wurzel. Isn't it funny? We're getting different results on our um, searches. Google image search. Hmm. Da- look up Daft Wurzel Gummidge Daft Head, folks. Make a good Doctor Who monster. Absolutely terrible. Well, I wouldn't want that. It's it's it honestly still frightens me to this day, Daft Head. Oh. Um, and strangely, I'm not frightened by the fact that Wurzel throws him off a bridge to his death in front of a train. 
and he comes back. Uh, anyway, first ah, review here is from DaftHead.com. No, it's not. It's from <laughs> WhoReview.com. Old Friends is the strongest release of 2022 so far, mixing epic and intimate adventure and introspection to create a box set that stick with the listener for a while after they've finished listening. Christopher Eccleston impresses throughout his performance, complemented by the likes of John Colshaw, Warren Brown, Sienna Guillory, Eleanor Lawless and Nicholas Briggs. Complete with excellent music and sound design by Howard Carter and Ian Meadows, this set comes highly recommended. Bring on Series 2 of the Ninth Doctor Adventures in May, four stars. Yeah, so uh, the Doctor Who Companion.com. By the way, no one uh, was attributed to the Who Review.com. I don't know whether that was intentional or not. Who uh, are this they? Is, Ida Wood wrote this. Uh, series one of the Ninth Doctor Adventures ends on an important moment in Big Finish continuity by setting the path of one of its frequently used original characters. And of course, there are moments between the Doctor and the Brigadier that. Uh, many would have hoped for. Perhaps the best Brigadier moment though is actually in the behind the scenes where John Colshaw, in character as the Brigadier, talks about knowing the Ninth Doctor's burden. It's beautifully delivered and reminds the listener of where this meeting takes place in both characters' timelines. Eccleston's performance is the biggest selling point of all Ninth Doctor releases because he gives it everything and really rewards those who have waited 16 years for him to return to the role. But also old friends, old friends, uh, really does deliver as the end to a series that shows how coherently planned the Ninth Doctor Adventures already is by Big Finish. It's not the end, though. Anyway, uh, there you go. Thank you. Well, don't think that is what I needed to know. Yes. We are cult.rocks. Uh, Ezekiel Thorpe says, Christopher Eccleston's known for appreciating good writing, and it's not hard to see why he came back to Doctor Who if these were the scripts he was shown. Series 2's got a very hard job if it wants to top either of these stories. Ah, well, these weren't the scripts he was shown. He was shown my script, um, Ravagers. He was actually shown a picture of a puppy and he said, I'm in. <laughs> All the puppy gets it. Uh, <laughs> cultbox.co.uk. Again, no writer attributed. Uh, across four box sets, Christopher Eccleston's return to the role has been nothing less than triumphant, with some excellent scripts, boundless imagination paired with audio's limitless ability to roam. It has been great to hear the Ninth Doctor really get about. His tough, lively take on the Doctor remains just as fantastic as it was back in 2005. That's uh, five stars. Uh, the last one is uh, blue and white, so that means seven stars. <laughs> well, Indie Mac user, seven stars there. Indie Mac user, seven stars.com says Jacob Licklider. Um, no, they don't say that. It's the writer, Jacob Licklider. Says who, old who friends. Stephen is... Noonan uh, remembered, I think, in his. Uh, well, certainly, to Stephen Noonan remembers everything. He does. Like an he elephant. Does. Just yeah. remembers. He you know, looks great like memory. An no, he doesn't look like an elephant. It's appalling. <laughs> he doesn't does look. He's got a very long trunk and eats from very tall trees. <laughs> makes noises like trumpets. Um, uh, old Friends is already a contender for the best big finish release of 2022, and it's only February. Uh, it is an exploration of trauma and the Night Doctor's own psyche, giving Christopher Eccleston a chance to do something he didn't on television, looking right at the beginning of the character's life to explore why he would eventually ask Rose to travel with him. Mm. It is two stories and continues the upward trend of the Night Doctor adventures 10 
out of 10. Yes, come on. Warpfactor.com, Matthew Kressel. Old Friends, with its tales of intergalactic funerals and a Cyberman invasion of Scotland, is a showcase for the Ninth Doctor and Big Finish alike. Not to mention bringing to an end one of their strongest runs of stories, perhaps in their entire two decades of Doctor Who storytelling. Yet, unlike in 2005, this isn't the end, as four further already announced sets will attest. And long may the Ninth Doctor renaissance continue. I love the word attest. I like that. A test is a great word. I love the word renaissance, to be honest. A test. I You must sit a test. That is it. Setthetape.com, Lee Thacker, who is a relative of Mr. Thacker, an old supply teacher at my school, says, Over the course of these four sets, Big Finish would seem to have accomplished a minor miracle by getting Christopher Eccleston not only to reprise his role, but also, apparently, have a whale of a time in doing so and enable him to put behind some of the personal reservations he had, which led him to relinquish the mantle so soon on television. With more series in prospect, if Big Finish can manage to sustain the high standard that they've achieved here, then it really will be fantastic. Uh, five stars. Four. Four stars. I, 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 can't, I, I can't read. I don't know. I mean, everything's five stars for me. Yes, yes. Well, I think it's important at this stage of the game to really make it clear how much David Richardson and Matt Fitton have, you know, done such a superb job on steering the Ninth Doctor adventures. You know, it was my great privilege and honour to start it off with my scripts for Ravagers and they have just taken it on and Matt Matt and David were both really beautiful and encouraging to work with and for it to be taken off on this great adventure with lots of other directors taking over as well. Helen Goldwyn, I think, ending up doing most of the work on the Ninth Doctor Adventures but uh, other people have been involved too, Ken Bentley and um, Barnaby Edwards. Uh, Yeah, well done to everyone. They've done a fantastic job and continue to do so. On the Twit Sphere... Uh, P.I. Frobisher says, just listen to hashtag Doctor Who Nights, Doctor Adventures, Old Friends. A lovely book set. A lovely book set that displays a unique aspect of the Ninth Doctor that is wonderful. Performed by Christopher Eccleston and enhanced by stories which show so much of the heart of the Doctor. A book set. Perhaps we should call them book set. It's a book set. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> I was hoping you'd do that. Um, B is a dork. What a fantastic um, handle that is. B is a dork says, I've just finished up listening to Big Finish's Ninth Doctor Adventures, Old Friends, and Me Oh My. Well, I think that should be My Oh My, but it says Me Oh My. It was brilliant. The first season of uh, the Night Doctor Adventures wrapped up in a lovely way. Looking forward to pre-ordering next season soon. Yes, at Telos32. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's a Dalek, sorry. There, I avoided saying fantastic. Oh, well, he said a rude word there that I can't quote. Still a very good set, though. Oh, I, d- I don't see why anybody hasn't used the Twitter handle Telos More. It seems like <laughs> such a have. great... Tell us more. Um, TardisNet66 says, I listened to the Big Finish Ninth Doctor Adventures Old Friends box set and thought it was very strong. Oh, very good. Very strong. And uh, good, I'd good just like to range. add, uh, that's it from the Good Review Guy this week. Thanks, Guy. Uh, next time, we'll be looking at the reviews of Torchwood Sunny. 
Still to come on the podcast, listeners' emails sent to podcast at bigfinish.com, our trip behind the scenes with UFO assassination time, plus the Randomoid Selectatron, totally randomly giving you a 25% discount on an audio adventure from our extensive catalogue of delights. What the? I see what you mean. Uh, but first, let's go behind the scenes with UFO Lost in Action. Hello, I'm Nick Briggs, and I'm the co-writer and director of UFO. So, is everyone ready? Mm-hmm. I Are believe so. Yep. Let's go. Uh, here we go. And cue. Yes, this is the second box set of UFO, and uh, things have moved on a bit. When we were last with Shadow, everything was uh, a bit of a mess. Shadow control looked like the inside of a busted um, washing machine. <laughs> And But now things are up and running, although there are still teething problems with the amount of um, resources available to the Shadow team and their fight against the aliens. And uh, straight up we, we go into a confrontation situation with the UFO getting in and they still Shadow still has this problem they can't track the UFOs on radar, which isn't something that happened in the TV series, but was something that was introduced by Andy Lane in the last box set who, who wrote the scripts for the first box set, Destruct Positive. So we've continued with that theme. And so there's the whole problem of how you spot a UFO when it comes in. And in the process of that difficult task, a civilian aircraft gets caught up in it. And this helps to introduce the character Paul Foster. Alec, this is Paul Foster. The crazy test pilot. Hi. Uh, Crazy, but alive. So you're being thrown in at the deep end? Seems that way. He's observing and keeping his mouth shut. Paul Foster was introduced in the TV series in a very similar way, but we take the story slightly in a different direction. But some of the beats are the same. But, you know, the the aim is to make it feel sort of familiar for, for fans of the original TV series like myself, but do it in a slightly different way with a twist. Hello, my name is Barnaby Kay, and I play Commander Ed Straker. There's a bit of passage of time between the previous box set and this one so it's great because when we start in the in the first story lost in action things have moved on so there are many more staff members more characters to to listen to and much more equipment so the um, moon base is just coming online any minute now and so there are more interceptors more skydivers and so there's just more gear and um and i think that's that. I just think that's great to to listen to, and um, and really fills out the stories. You know, many more characters. So, yeah, really exciting, and it's great for Straker coming sort of running in now, beginning to to build this sort of empire that he'd um, kind of started to dream of. I'm Howell Morgan, and I play Paul Foster, a test pilot. He used to be a, a an RAF ace pilot as well, fighter pilot as well, who happens to stumble across a UFO invasion. And that's how he ends up being dragged in to work for Shadow. Hi, my name is Lindsay Morell and I'm playing Lieutenant Gate Ellis. We are back with Shadow Control. They are just about ready to begin their mission to track and intercept the UFOs or UFOs as they are heading towards Earth to do some damage, we believe. And we meet Lieutenant Gay Ellis, who is now Moonbase controller. So she is basically in charge of setting up all the interceptors, tracking all of the UFOs with her 
sidekick Sid. <laughs> we meet her very on top of her game, on top of the job. She is ahead of schedule. She's very with it and she's she's doing a great job basically of controlling everything for this mission so i think she's enjoying it as well hello my name is samuel clemens and i play lieutenant colonel freeman in this box set of ufo season two start recording please here we go mm-hmm. and cue how's my favorite moonbeam <laughs> positively glowing colonel sounds like you've got good news for us Well, I'm running every test in the book, and then some, but we're already up to full power on all base systems. You're ahead of schedule. Impressive. (laughs) You don't think I know that? One of the main things that uh, comes out in this episode, which I think is why I love playing him, is his humanity, really, is that his his heart uh, drives him more than his head sometimes, and uh, he's presented with a situation right at the top of this where he might have to kill some civilians in order to protect the greater good and he just won't make that call and he refuses to do that and whether that's the right or wrong decision he sort of wears his humanity on his sleeve so I think from an acting perspective that's just great because I can unbelievably relate to that uh, terrible dichotomy you'd be put in but this is the situation that they're now in that they have uh, created this uh, organisation where you've got to put the greater good first and if there is collateral damage that is part of the job and I think that that's the difficulty of it is having to make those tough decisions so that's where we find Alec Freeman presented with an enormously tough decision and that sort of creates enormous friction between him and Straker for the rest of the episode and kind of through the rest of this um, box set and learning respect for each other and sort of how to it's how to work with each other really and when you're presented with sort of life and death problems how do you cope with that hello i'm Jeannie spark and i'm playing lieutenant colonel virginia lake it is so so good to be back with the shadow team i mean what an absolutely dreamy bunch of cosmic heroes <laughs> not including myself in that just the other guys they're like you know they're delicious it's great fun it's great fun to be having these enormous adventures through time and space and to be doing that alongside the great actors who are playing the other characters in Shadow is just, it's its a dream. It's a dream job. We've had a really great three days. The, the team is all back. We're all we're all back together recording and, and it's lovely to be with everybody. There's a really lovely shorthand. They're, you know, we're all really fond of these stories. They're, they're, they're great and they're, it's, you know, they're period pieces and, and that is is great to to play with and and um you know it's low tech to some extent obviously there's huge high tech moon bases and stuff but you know it's still kind of ticker tape computers and and telephones and no no cell phones no you know none of that so so you know it's really good fun we've had a really great three days and it's um yeah great to be back and more more please if at all possible just go to bigfinish.com to find this one. Type breaking point into the search pane at the top to find this great Anderson adventure released this Thursday on the 16th of March. Yes, this Thursday, the 16th of March. Don't switch this channel. <laughs> Stay <laughs> on this channel. D- don't fall off your chair. Don't touch the remote, for goodness sake. Don't Stop touch it. that live wire. Stop it. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, it's time for listeners' email. That's right, and if you want to make that noise Nick just made, you can, or you can channel your energy into sending an email to podcast at bigfinish.com. It's yeah, very simple. 
Yeah, yeah I mean, you could try and do both, but well, I, I well, just feel like it might all come out in gobbledygook. Could I sound like Daft Head, then? I'm going to go for my breakfast, I am. Um, who played but, Daft Head? Uh, an actor who... Yeah, obviously. I think yeah. he died quite early. Um, right. In the film. Um, no, sorry. He was very good in it, and he his name was... Dragonfly. No, his name was um, Frank Marl Marlborough. Frank Marlborough, who was in Open All Hours as a delivery man, right. played Man in Waiting Room in Last of the Summer Wine. A stellar um, career. Played Park Keeper in A Sharp Intake of Breath. Frank Marlborough. Yeah, sadly, he died in '83. I can't even find a picture of him anywhere. No, yeah, it's, 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 you, it's, yeah, you can't. There's just loads of other people called Frank. I'm not I might call well Frank. Mind you, it's my thingy is making me search on uh, Bing. I've so, I see, I, yeah, that's why, because I can see pictures of him. I've got a picture of him here, which is... Well, I don't, I don't really, I don't really recommend uh, Bing, folks. Is that Deborah Watlin? Frank Marlborough. Still not many. There's not many. No, that's true. But there is... You can see him there. This he was very good. This could be his finest moment, couldn't it? I think Daft Head was. Well, there's a signed photograph of him as well. From 1976. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, do get on with the listeners' No, emails. very good. This is the Frank Marlborough Our. Uh, fan club. Um, <laughs> rightfully so. Honestly, watch that episode. It's very good. Uh, dear Nick and Benji, a few short points. Um, that's those the, the, that's those little pins, you know, that you put on notice boards. They're very short points. But, yes. um, <laughs> um, <laughs> such a dad joke. Uh, finally, got round to listening to Stranded Four. Just magnificent, magnificent, magnificent. <laughs> oh, I thought you said magnificent. Omnipotent. Let's say magnificent from now magnificent. on. Magnificent. I can't speak. Magnificent. Magnificent. Um, just magnificent. Possibly the best to, to date. That's very interesting. Yeah, if you want to take it out, be, wine uh, it and dine uh, it. You know. I, know, I was going to make that dad joke as well. Can Benji do a full podcast in the style of Patrick Allen in the house? <laughs> I do love doing the Can Benji do a full podcast in the style of Patrick Allen? Everything sort of sounds a bit like this, doesn't it? <laughs> Had to get into the groove there. But uh, now everything, you just sort of it's, yeah, there are certain words you say, and once you say them, you can slip into the groove, can't you? <sighs> Night fell slowly. Um, he was brilliant in that dangerous knowledge. He was, wow. yeah. He's one of those guys. Do you reckon he ever got fed up with just having that voice all the time? Yes, I'm sure he was tortured by the success and money it brought him. But, you know, like, like sometimes you want to say, like, can you just pass me that cup of tea? But, you know, he yes. was can you just pass me that cup of tea? You know, everything's. I'm just popping outside to wear a coat. You know, like everything is. You know, can I have my receipt, please? Um, <laughs> I've just trod in some dog's mess. You know, there's, there, there is a point where you think, why does why does nobody take me seriously? You know? Why does nobody take me seriously? <laughs> just all the time. I'm filling up my car with unleaded. You know, just, are you selling it? No, I'm filling my car with unleaded petrol. Um, in the gas tank. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just. I think I'm just entertaining myself at this yes. point. I, I, um, I wonder whether you might like to finish this email. 
I might, um, in the house. Um, surely the time is right for the Bill Filer adventures, or it says here, um, it is Bill Filer. Uh, the early years I'll pre-order that right now it's from Ian McCormick absolutely would pay for the Bill Filer adventures next up uh, from DP Savinsky DP uh, Savinsky <laughs> listeners emails in further support of Mr Briggs argument now he's put the apostrophe after the double G so apparently my name has been relegated to being <laughs> Brig just, you just missed the Brig on the Brig <laughs> Dear Nick and Benji, bench, I'm a weekly listener of the podcast and have followed with interest the recent discussions about whether Big Finish stories are official Doctor Who canon. This is my reaction. Oh, not this one again. Uh, no, but this is a lovely email, though. So thank you, DP. Um, those discussions were on my mind when I was listening to the Time War Cass. Alex, Cass and the Doctor make a phenomenal team. They do, actually. In the Time War interview segment, Paul McGann was fondly reflecting on shooting on the shooting of the Night of the Doctor and his regeneration scene. In that scene, Mr McGann remarked that Stephen Moffat had him recite, in tribute, the names of his Big Finish companions in the seconds before his regeneration, a moment which harkened back to Tom Baker and Peter Davison's regenerations. Their lives and companions flashed before their eyes in their final moments. Mr Moffat would not have had the Eighth Doctor reference his Big Finish companions in his last moments if he did not consider them part of the Eighth Doctor's real story. I found Mr Briggs' argument related to Big Finish stories being official canon persuasive on their own. Thank you very much. But if the TV series showrunner and the audio drama's executive producer, the ultimate authority on the respective media, have a shared understanding of this, which it seems they do, then I think we can consider this debate settled once and for all. Fans or other individuals are entitled to differing views. Exactly. But I would argue... I'm going to argue! Their opinions do not carry the same authority as Doctor Who's principal curators. Oh, I'm a principal curator. Uh, of more importance, uh, while the discussion of canon may be of amusement to we ultra-fans, uh, points about canon are less important than points about calibre or quality. Consider the sum total of what the TV series gave us relative to the 6th, 7th and 8th Doctors, Perry, Mel and Ace. We have <clears throat> we have much to be grateful for, but now consider this same body of work and add to it the big what Big Finish has given us in stories and character development. The combined products elevate the narrative. There is no doubt Evelyn Smythe is every bit as beautiful a character as a TV companion. Alex McQueen is every bit as intriguing, evil, entertaining as the other masters. It is difficult to argue that both TV series and audio dramas in combination do not offer us an enhancement and elaboration of the characters and the mythos. An enhancement we are very much the better for. Big Finish stories are brilliant and our Doctor Who experience is enriched by them. The TV series is the inspiration for the audio dramas that come after them. The audio dramas expand the Doctor Who universe and make us even more reverent and appreciative of the original stories. They connect up and intertwine. Make the same TV audio comparison with Torchwood. Take the TV series alone and they are brilliant and certainly stand on their own. But is the Torchwood mythos not expanded and enriched when we consider the TV series and the audio dramas together and we learn so much more about the many layers of Yanto, Susie Costello, Officer Andy? Make the same comparisons with Peloton. Do the same with Kaldor and the Robots, one of the smartest and most well-acted series Big Finish has ever done. Consider all the richness we gained from Derek Jacobi's Warmaster and Eric Roberts and what we will likely gain from the new Sasha Duan series. 
Would the Doctor Who universe not be diminished without the Jago and Lightfoot series, without the Diaries of River Song, without the blessings of David Warner's later performances, without Lisa Bauman and Bernie Summerfield? Big Finish is canon because it is too good not to be. For the love of stories, may they never end. D.P. Savinsky. D.P. Savinsky. It's like we paid you to write that, but honestly, we didn't. So thank a you very much. A forensic look there. A forensic thank you, look. Thank you. In support of. Yes. Well, we're all human. I didn't say that. Those are the words of Brendan Wright. <laughs> Brendan says here, dear Nick and Benji, um, I hope Benji is feeling better. Uh, your banter is always a joyful tonic for this for the week ahead yeah he's, I am feeling better I'm still getting there but I'm feeling better I was poorly. just wiped absolutely wiped out um, but on the plus side uh, I can confidently say I watched over 40 hours of Coronation Street from the early 90s um, <laughs> I know I'm ashamed of myself as well no, why do you felt so ill um, it was the only thing I could I couldn't decide what to watch and so I just sat and watched something that would never end and mm. it got me through I won't lie Many people. William Russell got married and died all in the space of, of a day. That's how much I watched. Not in real life, obviously. I mean, he he's, he, he was in it playing dear old um, get you. Ted I Sullivan. Get you. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. So that he's a sweet sweet salesman. A sweet, that doesn't sweet mean that he, he he you know salesman. He's very sweet. He's he sells sweets, spoiled sweets to be precise. I oh, was he sweet. He was sweet actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was sweet. And then he's he's um he's died in it. And Rita's being taken to court by oh, no, I'm that not horrible interested. man. I'm no, not you will be interested. <laughs> you know the horrible man in episode two of Blake Seven, uh, who is on the spaceship of the prison ship. He's in charge. I don't remember him actually. Hold on, you'll know the actor. He, I'll tell you his name, and you'll know it. Um, everybody else is going. Wait a minute. Well, we're 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 holding fort because it it'll be worth it. Holding His name, fort. ladies and gentlemen, the actor who's taking Rita to court is Leslie Schofield. Oh right, who was uh, in Doctor? Uh, he's been in Star Wars and Doctor Who. He was in A New Hope. He's in Doctor Who uh, as well. You type his name in and you'll know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah his face of evil, yeah. See, yeah. I told you it was worth worth yeah. looking at. Yeah, there we go. So two Doctor Who links in my my time. There There's we go. There's also someone called Leslie Schofield who's a consultant. <laughs> She's, uh, the, the I hope body. it's the same. I hope it's the same guy. No, it's a woman. <laughs> oh wow, okay. Well. The body shop at, at somewhere. At the body shop. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I thought they just sold earrings and stuff. No, they didn't. No, they, no, sell, they sell they sell bath bombs and things, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> Oh no, it's a bath bomb! Dive, dive, dive! <laughs> World, War, World War One bath bombs. Um, during last week's podcast, I found myself almost in tears during Helen and Louise's warm and lovely interview about acting, directing and writing. Helen described the desire for acting as sometimes like being in an abusive partnership or a drug addiction. You're in love with it, yet it doesn't requite the love you have for it. For many decades, I felt music is precisely the same, often proving to be an unfaithful mistress who promises the world yet delivers nothing. Yet we still hang on, hoping for the tiniest tidbit. We humans are such strange creatures. What? I had to listen to the interview all over again to savour Helen and Louise's performance. It made me delightfully sad the second time also. We humans are such strange creatures. And on that note, 
Cheerio. Haha, <laughs> laughy emoji. Brendan Wright. Yes. All I can say is, what what is being human if, without creativity? That is what Indeed. I always say. And also, I forgot to mention that part two of that interview will, in fact, be at the end of this podcast. There we go. So there you go. Yeah. That's it for this week's emails. We look forward very much, very, very, very much to reading more next week. Keep them coming to podcast at bigfinish.com. <laughs> it's gone mad. As you regular listeners will know, the Randomoid Selectatron is firing up as we speak. <laughs> Preparing to offer you a 25% discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release for Lovejoy's value. We'll also be teasing you with the first 15 minutes of the UFO Lost in Action. And that's out this Thursday on the 16th of March. Yes, but before all that, time now to go behind the scenes for the second episode of this week's UFO Breaking Point release, Assassination Time. 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 Hello, I'm Nick Briggs, and I'm the co-writer and director of UFO. In the second episode, Assassination Time, we riff a little bit on the themes from the original TV series episode Time Lash, but Jamie Anderson has changed it beyond all recognition, really. And the story moves on into something else. But yes, it is weird. And it just increases that sense of mystery about what the aliens can do. Hello, my name is Barnaby Kay and I play Commander Ed Straker. An alternative title could be Assassination Slash Time, because that's what we get. We're getting both those elements. So there's a definite threat to Straker's life and and at the same time and part of that plan the aliens have this rather extraordinary time weapon I'm Howell Morgan and I play Paul Foster it all gets a bit timey-wimey in the, the second episode to borrow a Doctor Who phrase the aliens are utilising some kind of time-shifting weapon we're not quite sure what it is Paul sees it when he's aboard the UFO ship but what happens is that suddenly Paul's able to stop time and uh, stop certain things happening in time, so certain people, and allow other factors, other actors to move around as well. So it means he can kind of do that stop motion thing of being on one side of the room uh, at one moment and then on the other side of the room the next. It's pretty bizarre because it means that he can turn up three minutes after something's happened, but actually it's a split second in story time. So it uh, it raises the stakes because suddenly he's able to be ahead of everybody else. One of the uh, the other things that we get more time to explore in these three ex- episodes of the is the relationship between is a really key relationship I think between Foster Paul Foster and Straker and and the relationship between Alec and, and Straker is always slightly strained and I and I feel that 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 Straker takes a lot out on Alec and he and he does give Foster both barrels too but but I think there's a sort of unspoken understanding between the two because Straker of course was a test pilot and and um, was the best in the sky and so he he knows what Foster's going through and he wants Foster to have that sort of slightly maverick spirit. I think they're probably cut from the same cloth they're both straight talking they're both direct people and they're both alpha males Straker is clearly the senior, and Foster is the the, the new guy who's um, the new guy in the block who 
has a lot of very bright and constructive ideas, but I think there's a little bit of a power struggle there in terms of who's in charge. Beep, beep. Foster, can you hear me? Just about. Are you sure you can't eject? Not a chance. It's still right above me. But don't worry, if I can get any lift out of this thing, I've got an idea. Lift? You mean... Foster, you can't! What? Play this thing in its own game and ram upwards into it. I think we all know that's my only useful option. Hello, I'm Jeannie Spark and I'm playing Lieutenant Colonel Virginia Lake. I think initially, Lake is suspicious of Foster because here's this guy who turns up in Shadow's way as a kind of perfect new pilot, which is great. But then at the end of episode one, there's a there's a lot of confusion about whether that's him operating like that or whether he's been taken control of. I mean, I secretly think that Lake quite fancies Foster. I think he's a bit of a hottie. Uh, and I think she's predisposed, therefore, to support him. And definitely, I think, by the end of episode two and into episode three, there is... Uh, there's trust and a little bit of a little bit of flirty banter going on there. I really love UFO as a series and a concept, and it's been really great working on it. I think it's fair, and I should be diplomatic here to say that I had quite a few problems with the scripts in the first box set, and I did extensive rewriting of it myself. But all the themes and the story beats introduced by Andy Lane in the first series are all still there, uh, to the point where I think, uh, even though I, I'm sure Andy would rather not have been rewritten, I mean, none of us like to be rewritten, I think he's happy that it still is very much his work, and I think that's true. But some of the way the story unfolded, I, yeah, I did do a lot of work on those scripts, and I did decide that I would make time to uh, write these scripts myself, but um, it's always difficult when there's so much going on in my life poor old me, eh? getting to do creative things all the time. And Jamie and I, Jamie Anderson and I, have worked together on scripts before. We worked together on um, First Action Bureau, which is an Anderson Entertainment production, an original sci-fi thing, which has you know gone quite well as a podcast and a CD release. So I, I knew Jamie and I would work well together, and so I opted to do that this time. And remember, just go to bigfinish.com and type Breaking Point into the search pane at the top to find this latest volume of Alien Attacking Adventures. Any minute now, we'll be dramatising you with the first 15 minutes of UFO Breaking Point Lost in Action. In the meantime, it's... The Randomoid Selectatron, <laughs> where we randomly select a Big Finish release and offer you a 25% discount on it. Well, you're going to like this one, Nick. You're going to yeah. like it. Is it going to like it? It's uh, 193 <laughs> Doctor Who yes. Masters of Earth. Ah, oh, Masters of Earth. Yeah, there we go. This is uh, Kevin Scott and Mark Wright wrote this, didn't they? And it's set on Earth during the Dalek invasion, but before, and it's the sixth Doctor. Here is the trailer. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. This is the year 2163. Guilty! 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 A dark time. Storm! Storm! The solar system blockaded. Whoa! Now that's what I call a flying saucer. Earth belongs to the Daleks. <laughs> the Daleks are out there in space. 
conquering other worlds. Resistance is useless. They never stop. And that's what your doctor does. He fights them whenever he meets them. This is, was my fight, but not here, not now. Obey the Daleks in all things. Register this. Disobey and you will die. Exterminate. No, don't you dare. Daleks are masters of Earth. If I were to be captured, and if the Daleks were to examine my memories... This is the Dalek Supreme! The interesting thing about that trailer, it doesn't contain any um, music from the actual production. I did the music on this as well as directing it. But uh, Martin Montague, who did fantastic sign, des- sign design, sound scientist. design on it. He's, He's a, a fantastic, fantastic scientist. scientist. He is, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, he, <laughs> he invented audio drama in a science laboratory. Um, uh, but he didn't have any of my music for the trailer, so he just sort of put some stock music on there. But it's a Not great well. trailer, I think you'll agree. Um, yeah, thoroughly recommended release. Bit short of time, so I'll just say, um, uh, Benji, uh, could you, uh, while I email Jackie Emery, content manager at Big Finish, to inform her of our random selection so that she can get it live on the Big Finish website, could you uh, remind people how to get this incredible 25% discount? And, you know, as a celebration of your earlier contribution in the style of Patrick Allen, an old favourite. Of course, of course. Go for it. All you have to do is head to bigfinish.com. When you're on the website, move over to podcasts. On the podcast page, under the picture of myself, Patrick Allen, and Nicholas Briggs, <laughs> click the Read More button. I forgot to tell Jackie. After reading more, it'll say just click here and enter the code BUCKUP. That's B-U-C-K-U-P. Enter the code BUCKUP and you will get your discount. Air attack warning sounds like this. <laughs> Here is the sound. Barrett Holmes. In the case of a nuclear blast, your Barrett home will self-destruct. But fear not. Oh if you hide under a mattress, you might just make it. <laughs> For Vimpus. another three seconds. <laughs> oh dear. So morbid. I'd Meanwhile, like to apologize. I'm in my helicopter on the way to Geneva. <laughs> I've become helpless, Benji. I'm so sorry. Anyway, so helpless. I've I've da- downloaded the trailer so I can will have edited it, edited it in. I can't think of anything else to say about it except thank you, Ran. It was a great choice. Next week's podcast is out on the 19th, Sunday the 19th of March, and it's called Avenger Thirst. Um it's um we've already told you what's going to be in the good review guide behind the scenes with the avengers the comic strip adaptations volume 7 steed and tara king catchy little title there that's out on tuesday the 21st of march and also available uh, torchwood the thirst trap hence the avenger thirst you see um and that's out on thursday the 23rd of march 
and we'll be giving you a drama tease of a fantastic episode from the uh, Avengers comic strip adaptations, Volume 7, Steed and Target. Uh, it's called The Fabulous Skybeam Dilemma by Nigel Fares. I'm delighted by both those bits of information. So am I. But thanks again for all of you for listening. The Big Finish podcast is presented by me, Benji Clifford, and him, Nick Briggs. Nick also wrote, produced, and edited it. And both Benji and I did this for the love of stories. And finally on the podcast from UFO Breaking Point, it's the exciting first adventure, Lost in Action. And don't forget, this will be followed by part two of... Louise Jameson and Helen Goldwyn having a lovely chat. Shadow Control, still no sign of UFO. This is Shadow Control, Colonel Freeman. Looks like they finally got wise to us using their entry course to track their termination point. Affirmative, Colonel. The damn thing was long gone before I even got here. If we had Moonbase and the Space Intruder Detector online, we'd have destroyed it before it even got into Earth's orbit. No use wishing for the moon when we don't have it yet. <laughs> All right. Well, do your best, Georgia. Circle round again and we'll give you tracking information. Acknowledged. Circling again. Lieutenant Ford? Already on it, sir. Triangulating on UFO's last known position. Damn it, she's already checked that. Get me something new. I'll... Sorry. I'll try, sir. Shadow Control, I have visual. Repeat, I have visual of UFO at extreme range. Talk about lucky. Okay, Sky One, accelerate to optimum firing range and destroy UFO. Approaching optimum firing range. Now! Sir. There's something else. On radar. On radar? Then it can't be a UFO. Georgia, do you see anything else up there? Negative, Colonel. What the hell is it? Getting a clear transponder reading now. It's Delta Bravo 441. A civilian aircraft? Ventura Aircraft Corporation. Test flight. Test flight? No passengers, then? I've spotted it, sir. Its trajectory will take it across the UFO's flight path. Can you get a clear shot, Georgia? Negative, sir. At this range, the explosion will blow that aircraft right out of the sky. Damn. Okay, Georgia, uh, contact the aircraft. But, sir, protocol. Damn takes... protocol. Sky One, I repeat, contact Delta Bravo 441 and warn them off. Tell them. Tell them you're a military aircraft on exercise. Understood, sir. 
Delta Bravo 441, this is RAF Phantom SK-1. Do you receive me? Over. I repeat, this is RAF Phantom SK-1. Do you receive me? Over. Are they serious? Our flight path has cleared with the military. This must be some kind of wind-up. Delta Bravo 441, please respond. Phantom SK-1, our flight path is cleared. No scheduled military flights. Delta Bravo, take immediate evasive action. Repeat, change course immediately. You are in danger of being hit by friendly fire. SK-1, we are not in any danger. Hey, Paul, what's that sound? You hear that? What's going on, Alec? Sky One's got a UFO bang to rights, but there's a civilian test flight right on top of it. Delta Bravo, I repeat, you must take immediate evasive action. And George is talking to them? On whose orders? My orders. That aircraft is collateral damage, Alec. Give the order to fire. Not if we can get them clear. Colonel Freeman. There are two men up there, Ed. Someone's brothers, fathers, or husbands, and if I can save them, then I'm going to. What about saving the lives of the victims that UFO will claim if it gets through? No, Alex. Then you give the order, sir. Right. Shadow control to Sky One. Open fire now. Destroy that UFO. But, sir. That is a direct order. Open fire. Firing now. Oh, they fired something. What the hell are they playing at? What is that thing? Roll starboard and climb. No! Work, Captain. Return to Sky. Georgia, what about Delta Bravo 441? Captain. Captain. I. I'm not sure, sir. Radar shows Delta Bravo 441 falling fast. I see it now, sir. Tail section sheared off. Starboard engine on fire. They don't stand a chance. Johnson! Johnson! Dave! Wake up! We gotta eject! Damn. Not working. Delta Bravo 441. Do you read me? Who the hell is this? Never mind who I am. What are you still doing in your aircraft? Eject now if you want to save your life. My co-pilot is unconscious and his ejector seat is non-functional. Then your co-pilot is dead. Is your ejector seat working? Uh, yeah. But it doesn't matter, I'm not leaving. And you're dead too. Not if I can crash land this thing. Delta Bravo, your tail's been sheared off. You won't make it. Eject now. Negative, whoever you are. I won't leave my friend to die. What's your name, pilot? Paul Foster. And I'm a little busy to have a chit-chat. You're a brave man, Paul Foster. We've lost contact, sir.
Voice print, Streaker. Get me Freeman on Scrambler. Scrambler on? Morning, uh, Commander. Uh, what can I, um... I'm just checking everything's on schedule for, uh, um, activation, Alec. All checks A-OK -okay from Gay Ellis. Good, good. You know, I have something to attend to this morning before... Uh... Uh, understood, sir. Um, Commander, you... Uh, we, um, <laughs> haven't, uh... Talked about what happened yesterday. Uh, yes, sir. Look, Alec... Trying to sneak out before your family is awake? Gotta go. You know, when I hit that speed dial number, all I get is a big fat nothing. Oh, well, they're pretty tight on security. At a movie studio? There's a lot of money riding on some of those blockbusters. Which is supposed to explain all the late nights, early mornings, nights away, missed appointments. Mary, I'm sorry, but I don't have time for this. For what? A marriage? A family? No. I, I... That's it? Mary, I, I can't... You're like a ghost in this house, Ed. Not really here. Long gone. No. How many years now? Three, nearly four? Look, we can't go on like this. It's madness. Oh, morning. Morning. What's this, an actual conversation between mom and dad? Wow. No, not an actual conversation at all. You're up early, son. Job interview. Not that you'd know. Oh, what's the job? Senior designer. Arcade Video Games Company. Oh. Not a bad interview for a recent graduate to get. No. No. That's, uh, no, that's great. Yeah, Dad, I mean, I could tell you all about it, but I get the feeling you'd rather it was top secret, like your job. What do you mean, top secret? Like you never tell us anything. Never let us visit. Oh, well, I... Uh... Wouldn't that be great? A family visit to a movie studio. Sure. Sure, I'll, uh... Forget we ever mentioned it. I, I didn't say that. No. You didn't say that. Listen, I, I really have to go. I I've got a kind of top-secret job interview to attend myself. You're getting a new job? No. I'm doing the interviewing. Moonbase Control to Reactor Control. Please confirm countdown to full power grid activation. Confirming. Activation in five... Four, three, two, one. Activation confirmed. Thank you, reactor control. We have full power to all moon-based systems. <laughs> Popular move here, that's for sure. Okay, people, I want full testing of all systems before we declare total success to shadow control. And I want space intruder detector transmissions to be confirmed. Lieutenant Ellis, I have Colonel Freeman for you. Put him on. How's my favorite moonbeam? Positively glowing, Colonel. Sounds like you've got good news for us. Well, I'm running every test in the book, and then some. But we're already up to full power on all base systems. You're ahead of schedule. Oh, that's impressive. You think I don't know that? <laughs> How about Sid? I'm expecting test data any second now. Well, Gay, you're presenting me with a problem. Oh? What's that? Your old friend and our lord and master, Ed Straker, is due back here at Shadow Control for the scheduled activation of Moonbase. But it looks like you're going to be early. So, do we start without him? Ah, uh, 
I'll leave that tricky dilemma to you, Colonel Freeman. Yeah. Thanks for that. Shadow Control out. So, are you going to risk his wrath? Well, given that business with Ventura 441, I'm not exactly his favourite person at the moment, so... in for a penny. Brave man. Besides, every second we delay getting Moonbase and Sid online... Is an extra second the aliens have to break through. <laughs> You're spending too much time in this office. You sound just like him. Haven't you noticed how he likes that? I thought psych evaluations were my brief. What can I say? I learned from the best. Talking of which, I wonder how things are going at the hospital. Well, you've certainly elevated kicking a man when he's down to an art form, Mr. Gallison. Uh, I'm sure you understand our position in the uh, circumstances. Uh, with such, uh, uh, I mean, in this condition, you could hardly continue to... Uh, yes, I uh, get it. <laughs> a blind man can't fly a plane. <laughs> <clears throat> I think you'll find the severance package most generous. I, I leave it... Uh, oh, um... Uh, don't worry, I'll get my guide dog to read it for me someday. I'm most terribly... Oh, for Christ's sake, get out! Oh, let me fetch someone to clear get that up. Out! <laughs> Am I interrupting something? I was just leaving. Good day, Mr. Foster. You still in here? Whoever you are? I am. What have we here? A broken glass, I presume. No, I meant... Oh. Severance package. Oh, nice. Very generous. You're pretty nosy for a doctor, aren't you? I'm not a doctor. Wait a minute. I recognize your voice. Impressive. Your cockpit was smashed, you were losing oxygen, falling like a stone. You managed to crash land without any significant injury. Are you trying to be funny? I'm blind. And despite all that, you remember my voice. So what? It takes a strong mind to hold on to details like that after such a traumatic incident. Look, who the hell are you? Are you from the military? Because if you are, you're the reason my life is over. And you were prepared to risk everything to save the life of your co-pilot. I'm sorry he didn't make it, by the way. Do you know what happened up there? No one will talk about it. It wasn't just your military aircraft, it was something else. Oh? And what would that be, Mr. Foster? Why do I get the feeling you're here to brush it all under the carpet? Brush what? Under the carpet? An unidentified flying object. I saw a UFO, clear as day. You <sighs> think I'm crazy? Describe it. Okay. Spinning. Conical, uh, sort of shield things around it, I think. A kind of outer transparent casing and an inner metallic center. And it was making a noise like I've never heard before. A, an oscillation that seemed to be everywhere. <laughs> Hard enough to have me committed? Kind of. Oh, moon base calling. This is it. Decision time. Colonel Freeman? Don't tell me. You've got good news and bad news. That's right, sir. All systems are go, and we're three hours early. I take it Commander Straker still isn't there. You got that right, Gay? Colonel Lake, do you have any advice for Colonel Freeman? <laughs> um, uh, I never offer advice. What advice would you give to someone looking to get started in directing? 
what can they do first? You answer that first. I can only speak from my own experience, which is I created my own projects, I directed them and I invited people along to them and it did cost money. You know, I had to invest money, but there were ways of doing it cheaply. You know, I think I hired a room upstairs at the Arts Theatre in the centre of London once and, you know, I had quite a few industry people who came to that because it was a good location. Um, but it does take a lot of focus and sacrifice, actually, because if you're doing a project like that, then that money has got to come from somewhere. That's the money you would spend going out with your mates or, uh, you know, buying a new car. I always would opt to put it into a creative project and try and kind of further my my progress there. What I would say is every project I ever created and every script I ever wrote never really led to a full production of that script or show, but it always led to something. If you put that energy out there and you show you've got that focus and you've got that ability, somebody will come and see it or somebody will read it or somebody will hear about it and say, oh, okay, maybe we'll try them on this project. So I think that there's an illusion that if you're going to write a script and put your heart and soul into it, that script has to be made. But actually that script is your calling card. Um, and the same for directing that show, that fringe show or that rehearsed reading, that's your calling card. You're not necessarily going to get that project going. Something else will come of it. Absolutely. My advice to a newcomer would be do your prep. I mean, really do your prep. Second guess all the questions you're going to be asked and, ha and have the answers ready. Be very aware of each individual's storyline throughout the piece, um, as well as the overall vision of it, because the, each actor will come to you with themselves at the heart of the story. And mm. that needs to be honoured if they're going to give of their, of their best work. I work with Ricky Beadle Blair on a play called Gutted, and he devotes each day to a character. He doesn't direct anybody but that one actor <laughs> all day. I mean, you have, wow. you have the luxury of time. So we just danced attendance on one actor while he or she got their, or they got their story sorted. Um, it's an interesting yeah. idea. Yeah. It, was really in it was really interesting. And I loved it because I was left right to the very end. So I had a lot of time to do some experimenting myself without being under the spotlight um, and could make decisions before it, before it got to me. I would also say, and this is such a subtle thing, is to note in the positive. So uh, yeah. never give a note that says, don't do it like blah, blah, blah. Always go, I don't know, say somebody's being too shouty, saying, you know, I, I, I absolutely love the passion you're giving it. I wonder if you could just rein in that anger and let us hear it as a, let us hear it as something seething rather than yelling, so rather than go, don't shout, you know, yes. just find a way of appreciating what they're giving and then molding it. I think one of the top tips that uh, I always used to enjoy giving on the corporate training work that I was doing, when I did a lot of work on handling difficult conversations and helping people to give feedback in a developmental, positive way, as you've just described. And in our and the, just a, a tiny alteration of language can make all the difference to how our brain processes. So 
what people tend to do is they say, well, that first um, scene was brilliant, spot on, but the second one it just wasn't working the way I wanted it to. So if we change the word but and we change it to and, say, well, that first scene was brilliant and I'd really love to get that second one, you know, getting the same energy and the same focus. It's so simple, but it just means we're not doing that. That's great, but that bit's rubbish. <laughs> uh, so yeah, people used to kind of listen to that suggestion and go, oh, yeah, I can see how that would work. Uh, and also, if you, ha if you absolutely have to give a negative note, then put it inside a sandwich. So you've got a you've got a compliment when you've got the criticism as as tactfully as you can give it, and then you've got another compliment. So they yeah. they start. Some people some people spot that sandwich straight away from a mile off. I see the sandwich coming. The filling is coming. <laughs> but even so, there's a joke there. There's the atmosphere's getting yeah, yeah. Uh, and you do, never do you have to lie in any of those things. You don't have to pretend someone's being brilliant if they're not. You can no. say something to find and praise and acknowledge. Yeah. And and it's our responsibility, certainly uh, with the big finish work, and I think anything that I was at the helm of, um, it's a big part of my impetus is to make sure that everybody has a great day. I want everyone to, you know, I love that we come away with a brilliant production, but it's almost more important to me that actors go away and say, I had a brilliant, uplifting, inspirational day because we all need that, and and I love to uh, contribute to someone feeling happier. <laughs> and we are Blair. I mean, I I do consider it is hard work. We work incredibly hard, and we do have disappointments. But it, all in all, it's an amazing life. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I was uh, I was reading about uh, uh, a palliative care nurse had come up with you know all the things that people talk about on their deathbeds and. Really, it's about living your authentic life. Don't do what other people tell you to do. You know, do the things you want to do. Don't kind of focus on material things. Look at experiences and stay in contact with your friends. And really, as actors, we are, uh, and creatives in general, we are hedonists in a sense. Yes, we're hardworking hedonists, but we are basically saying, I want to play. I want to spend my life playing and being a kid and um, using my imagination and doing crazy, adventurous, and terrifying things, and that's an amazingly privileged position to be in. If you can, I really believe if you stop creative play, you stultify the adult. I think this yeah. is why I get so furious when it's um, the first thing that's acts axed in schools. Yeah, anything creative is like you know. I remember my son being pulled out of rugby because he'd mucked about in science. Well, they'd they'd never pull him out of science if he mucked about in rugby. It's like it's like it's at the bottom of this, not given the value that it that it should be in drama. You know, even if somebody has no intention of going on a stage, it gives them the confidence to walk into a room, shake someone's hand, and do a good interview. Yes, yeah. Eye contact, relax oh, shoulders. Just these little tips that you get when you do a drama lesson that will take you through life, life skill. Yeah. Well, I do think for, even if you met the most, the, the, someone who, who claimed to not be creative at all, I think that that's, as you say, it's because somebody has put a lid on something that they loved. I think everybody has got some creative outlet, whether that's ice skating or painting or you know even listening to music or making music or poetry. 
everybody has their thing. And I think it's almost essential for, I think it is essential for mental health that you've got a creative outlet. Um, and I think a lot of our problems are that people have it all closed off and think that life is just tasks and necessity instead of joy and exploration and, you know, fun. So yeah, we're lucky, aren't we, that we get to make a, a living out of having fun. Yes. And what women, aside from me, <laughs> inspire you personally and professionally? I love Judy Dench. I do love her. Apart from the fact her voice is, her name is used as a voice warm-up. Is it? Judy What's Dench, that? Judy Dench, Judy Dench, 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 Judy Dench. Judy Dench. <laughs> it's really hard. I bet you could do it. Judy Dench, Judy Dench, Judy Dench. No, I can't. <laughs> I just think she has the right level of. I've seen some of those interviews with her and her grandson. She just, she just plays, as you say, plays all the time. And then when it comes to it, she she can switch on and connect, and she's away. I do think she's an inspiration. I love her work. Have you worked with her? No, never. And I, I have. Oh, and did you enjoy <laughs> it? Was well, she's lovely as she seems? She's oh. absolutely lovely. Uh, she directed Romeo and Juliet that she I was directed. In. Yeah, at Regent's Park. And I was understudying Juliet. Um, but she, she's a terrible giggler. <laughs> oh, my God. There was so much time spent laughing hysterically, in, bearing in mind it's a tragedy that we were directing <laughs> and she was in a play at the time in the West End called Gift of the Gorgon and obviously after the first initial day of like oh my god it's Judy Dench we were all like oh it's just Judy our director and then she took me and my friend Kathy who was also a recent graduate um, from college she took us in her car to the theatre uh, and got us house seats and we watched the play and of course she was phenomenal in it and and afterwards we were gob gobstruck because we just we couldn't we were like it's Judy Dench we're working with Judy Dench <laughs> <laughs> and we went backstage to her dressing room and she gave us a glass of champagne she said did you like it and we were like oh don't you now <laughs> um, but yeah yeah she was I mean she was lovely but she didn't half laugh a lot. <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe that's why she gives us such joy. So, yeah, what about you, inspiration? Um, funny one for so I'm quite unconventional in, in that I I was never a fan of anyone. I just I remember going to see a George Michael concert and I loved it. And there were women in front of me who were screaming like so so thrilled, and I was like, oh, I wish I could feel that way about someone. <laughs> but I just don't. But that's kind of part of what makes me a good, one of the things that makes me a good director is that I I just don't care if you're famous. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't give a damn. Um, because you were in the right place, right time, right face, right connections. You know, yes, you might have worked very hard, but there are plenty of other people that did exactly the same thing and didn't get that break and are just as talented as you. So I'm not impressed by that, but I'm impressed by people who've done extraordinary things with their fame or their privilege. So, I mean, I think Michelle Obama is amazing. Um, I found her book incredibly inspirational. Um, 
And people like Floella Benjamin, who've kind of done charity work and raised the profile of various things. And, um, but yeah, artists, I, I generally, I'm like, yeah, you're really good. <laughs> you did that really well. But I know like 10 other people that never even got the break. So don't be up yourself about it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't um, my Angelou onto that list as well. Oh, yes. And her yeah. poetry is, is phenomenal. I find in times when I am down, which is very rare nowadays, but poetry is my go-to and I just find her. You could lift kind of any line out of any of her poems and just use it as a meditation for the day and then you're back on track. Yeah. I think anyone who's overcome uh, obstacles and challenges and, and tragedies, anyone who's turning something incredibly difficult into something positive, those are the people I want to be around. You know, the people that have overcome uh, things to, to achieve success. Like I remember reading somebody's autobiography. It might even have been Judy Dench's where I thought, oh, well, where's the challenge? <laughs> like this came very easily. Like you got this break, this break, this break. I want to hear stories about people who was like me was were told no, no, we don't want you, no, no, we're not listening, and still made it happen. Those are the people that inspire me. But what's a favourite moment of working with Big Finish, aside from Atta Girl, that stands out to you? I liked doing them. Nigel did some companion, wrote some companion chronicles, which I adored doing. I think that's probably my go-to. What about you? I think it's been just some of the days of incredible laughter as a director. <laughs> like we laugh so much. In fact, I did a sixth doctor fairly recently. Um, I probably, I don't know if I can talk about it, but with, with a particular <laughs> cast and some particular guest stars, and, a, and an extraordinary thing happened at the studio where, a, and it just was the most surreal, obscure, hysterical day. We were literally weak with laughter uh, because the script was brilliant as well. It was just an incredible script full of ridiculousness, absurdity. And uh, yeah, but halfway through the day, I thought, oh, I can't carry on like this. I can't do a whole day like this. You're not going to make it. <laughs> that they'll have to carry me out on a stretcher, <laughs> what I thought. <laughs> um, so in terms of the projects that, you know, we're both at the helm of, obviously you've got um, the the 8th of March as a as a writer, which we've talked about a bit, and, and also as Leela, you've appeared there. Uh, what else can you tell us about sort of coming back as Leela and working with, with Tom and... Uh, that experience. Um, it's no secret that Tom and I uh, weren't bosom buddies back in the 70s. We're great pals now. Um, and he's mellowed and he's very gentle and sweet now with with me. Um, I guess that's the main thing I take away from doing Fourth Doctor stories is the fact that we could reconnect uh, in quite a loving way, which is lovely. Um, I love it that they've given that that Leela's uh, intelligence has been acknowledged. I felt very often that the companion 
Well, the companion is there as a device to go, what is it, Doctor, so that the doctor can then explain to the audience what's going on via the companion. Yeah. So it's quite nice to have been given on several scripts um, the, 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 the nous and the intelligence to solve problems and to drive the story forward as well as being a companion and a conduit. So uh, I think that, that, that I, I would take those things. But you've directed Tom more than anybody, haven't you? Oh, oh, I don't think so. But I certainly directed him a lot during lockdown uh, every week, every Tuesday morning. Every Tuesday. <laughs> that was my date with Tom. Tom. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's an incredible thing to experience, really. When I look at what people write about Tom on social media, about how much they admire him or love him or, you know, would love to meet him, I think, oh, I got to chat to him every Tuesday morning and hear him do his thing and really in his mid 80s still recording um energized and and doing two hours ago I'd you know always after an hour I'd say do you want to stop for a cup of tea do you want to have a rest no 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 let's carry on um it's a real kind of testament to how that kind of fun work just gives us it energizes us we did one script where he was um this is when we were still in the studio this is before remote recording so he'd have been just about to turn 80, I think. And we were in, um, he had to literally hit the ground running, this big chase monsters behind him. And he's, he blew me away with his interpretation and, as you say, his energy and that teasing yeah. voice. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite astounding, really, what, what, what can be achieved. But he's another one, you know, if Doctor Who hadn't happened, I wondered... You know, he'd be a star. He'd be out of work. He's not. Mm. He's not going to fade in a crowd. No. <laughs> no, no, that's never going to happen. <laughs> and, it, and obviously, you were at the helm of the War Doctor Begins as well. So tell us a bit about that. Yes, that was. Um, uh, that has become easier as the as the seasons have gone on. Uh, because um, Jonathan Carley had to really step into some very big boots, taking over uh, John Hurt's role. And it was he was very nervous at the beginning, and you could just feel him relax as the day went on. And people, not just me, but other people, were going, "This is extraordinary! What you're doing is amazing, and you're really convincing, and you're really..." And I think what he's done as time's gone on is managed to not only do an amazing imitation, but also make it his own. So he's um, connected his technique with his emotions, um, and that was my my job at the beginning was to was to mold mold those two things into one. Um because he was so worried about sounding like John that I that I had to steer him back onto, you know, feeling it as well as yes. demonstrating yes. it. Yeah, which he which he absolutely did, nailed it. Yes. It's extraordinary. It's yeah. extraordinary. Because yeah. I've worked with obviously you cast me in one of those early ones, uh, War Doctor, and I had been in one of the earlier episodes with John Hurt as well. So to have worked with both. Oh, yes, of course. was really extraordinary to hear what Jonathan could do. It was really quite mind-boggling. 
<laughs> because we were doing it. I think we were recording remotely as well for the one that I did with you and Jonathan. And so it was, I was just hearing it in my ears as I did with, with John. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you, you get to know people's voices much better than their faces, don't you? When you yeah. are directing or performing, it's, it's, it's really uh, weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was one of my top moments at Big Finish, actually. It was because we had Nick Briggs playing the Daleks. Ah. And uh, I was um, a scientist who was sort of a temporary sidekick for the doctor, for the war doctor. And then John obviously was playing the doctor. And at one point we were in a scene in the TARDIS and then the Daleks somehow got into the TARDIS. And I remember thinking, I gave up acting (laughs) (laughs) how many years ago. And I'm, I'm in a TARDIS with... John Hart or John Hurt and the Dalek. And I don't even know how this happened in my life. You know, it was one of those pinch me moments because Nick, as probably listeners know, he brings his voice modulator into the studio. So it is the Dalek voice that you hear through the through your headphones. So yeah, that was quite an amazing, amazing day. And in terms of Attergirl, obviously we've talked quite a lot about Attergirl, but as a director, how can you, what would you how would you describe the process of of those directing days and what it felt like in the studio? It was a mixture of joy and panic, really. <laughs> we had so much to get through in so little time, and yes. people's availability was limited. And we wanted to get this, as you remember, I'm sure, this ensemble feeling. But the ensemble scenes had to be recorded in isolation. So it was a question of remembering the atmosphere we created on day one, trying to match it on day two with other people reading in, making sure we hadn't dropped any lines. I just felt like... Yes, it was a jigsaw puzzle, wasn't it? Just keeping the balls in the air, yeah. And um, you and I played. Lo- I know I played a lot of different characters. <laughs> you went all over the world. Yeah, area. So we didn't have a budget for you know additional actors. So we were like, oh, I'll do that one, I'll- and I'll do that one as well. <laughs> but we walked into the green room, which has never happened really before or since. Walked into the green room at the end of the day, and the actors stood and applauded. And yeah. they, they, they've, they felt it. They felt the magic. Yes, and I think what we were all saying during the day was so much of what happened for the real pilots was that they were in the mess room waiting for a mission. And the our green room became that mess room. So, you know, the feeling when you went in the green room was that here are the girls, here are the, the pilots waiting for their mission. Yeah, I had real FOMO there because I had to stay behind. Oh, no, yeah. Recording everyone. But every now and again, you'd hear these gales of laughter coming out. From yeah. The room, yeah. It was like a time tunnel. It was a temporal connection. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Beautiful days. Helen, tell me about your 8th of March experience. What's been the best and the worst of all that? Um, Well, there's been no worst. (laughs) Um, I suppose other than the fact that the scripts are a very distinctive style. You know, we've got Emma Haig uh, producing and she's so ambitious and so um, she's allowing writers to let their imaginations roam so free. So the scope of some of these episodes is probably the biggest scope of of any of the series that we do, even Doctor Who. Some of them are just so wide ranging uh, in the adventures that happen. Um, and so that's kind of a bit more complex to prep, to prep as a director. Um, but for me to be able to work with the women of Doctor Who, you know, 
yourself and Michelle Ryan and Michelle Gomez and um, Alex Kingston uh, and um, uh, just all the other kind of renowned companions and, and characters from from Doctor Who. It's such a, a gift for me. Um, and yeah, we're up to up to series two now, aren't we? And um, again, we've had some stories, including your script, Ghost of Alchemy, that just go to places that we've never been to before. You'd think that, you know, the number of stories that we've created at Big Finish, surely there must be some repetition, but I'm endlessly oh, uh, so impressed by the the variation of, of settings and imagination that we encounter with, with every new script. I always think, oh my God, this writer is amazing. I've not seen that before. So I get a lot of that with the 8th of March. Uh, and at the same time... Did you have a nice... How, how long did you have to, to prep each one? Did you... Have any of them been um, close to the wire? Have you? Oh, to- yeah, yeah, yeah. We often have that. With all of the series that I've done, we often have um, scripts uh, occasionally coming in late and then you just have to spend a few hours doing it all at once. But... Uh, I'm I'm used to that now. I think in the past I would have been like, I haven't got time, but now I've got it down. I've got a technique for how I create my schedule and how I write my casting schedule and also the actors that I know, the kind of data database that you have. Although I still could do with a, a more comprehensive database. There are plenty of times where I say, oh, I need this kind of actor and I can't think. Um, and in fact, the inquiries, emails that we get in, for anyone watching that writes into Big Finish, those emails do go out to every director and producer and we do all file them, we look at them. Um, the title of those emails is really important because if you put your age and your accent, that's often what I search on. You know, If I'm looking for someone who can do a US accent or someone who's naturally West Country, you know, that's what my search is based on. And, and I have cast many people that way. Tell me about Rose Tyler. How was that experience? Oh, it's it's like a little family reunion every time we do a Rose Tyler because we have the same uh, actors, obviously, and it's quite a small cast. So it's always Billy, Camille. Um, often we have Mark Benton and, um, uh, you know, sev- several other people that have been around that story of Rose. And, of course, there's a lot of talk about what they did when they were back together in the TV series and lots of talk about Russell T. Davis. And I sometimes feel quite left out. I think I'm in a room full of people. Yes. I've met this man, he's friends with this man. He sends them lovely messages via text with Emily Cook, our wonderful producer. And I think I'm the only one. <laughs> he hasn't met him. Doesn't oh, know him. He's a sweetheart. He would, I, I'm on the list that has met him and does know him. And oh. I, he would absolutely adore you. We're going to have to. Of course he would, that. But he of doesn't course. know I exist. <laughs> I bet he does. He might do, actually, I, because, uh, well, I probably can't say because it's a spoiler, but yeah, he would have heard my name now. Yeah. Um, so, yes, uh, and working with Billy, obviously, we've seen the things that she's achieved herself as a writer and producer in recent years with I Hate Susie and her movie that she wrote and directed and, and starred in. Um, she's an extraordinary talent and raw t- intelligence. And I think people really underestimate her. 
um, even with all she's achieved, I think when you meet her, she is very unassuming and kind of introverted. And uh, you would just, you wouldn't necessarily know that all that genius and all that talent is in there. It's only when you see what she's doing that you think, wow, that's Billy. It was sitting quietly in the corner, you know, on her phone, d desperately trying to sort out her family stuff. You know, she's got a family and, and those responsibilities as well. And she's still achieving all this incredible drama. She inspires me. Yes. When, when she was very first cast as the companion, I was one of those that just went, oh, really? You know, and mm -hmm. then I saw her on screen and thought, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's remarkable. Apology to the universe here. She's she's got something very special. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a real uh, treat for me to get to know her. I don't think she lets many people in, and I think because we've worked together a fair amount now, I feel that she trusts me. That she trusts that I'm not interested in celebrity, and you know, I just am interested in her as a fellow creative mum. Uh, and so we've got a nice connection. Not in Tomlin, yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. Yeah. And then the sort of on the other side of it, I'm working with Chris Eccleston. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> with the other side of that coin uh, on these Ninth Doctor adventures, which has been the, the biggest project for me with Big Finish. Um, and well, one that I never in a million years expected to happen. So I had asked David Richardson during lockdown, I said, oh, if we just out of interest, have we managed to pin anyone down that we were trying to get? And he wrote back and said, no, sadly not. And then literally a week later, they announced that Chris um, was going to be doing some audios. And then David immediately emailed me and said, I'm so sorry, I lied to you. I had a, I'd signed an NDA. <laughs> and then he said, do you, do you want to direct some of these? I was like, what? Yeah, of course. And then I had an interesting experience because I did the first one with Chris um, remotely during lockdown. And we had a nice rapport and it was great fun and everyone was laughing, but there's a limit to what you can do when it's all, all audio. Um, and then when we finally met in person, obviously I'd seen him in Doctor Who, but I hadn't even thought, what's Chris going to be like? What's Chris going to look like? And then when I met him, I was like, oh God, you're you're that. You look like he's this big, tall, big guy. Like I hadn't expected any of that. Um, and I hadn't expected his presence, his charisma and his energy is so powerful. And it elevates everybody else's performance and everybody else's day, really, because he just puts so much energy and commitment into it. And also his humility is, with all that presence, his humility is very unexpected. That, yeah. That's what surprised me most when I... It's a real contradiction. Of, Hello, I'm Chris. I, yes. <laughs> yeah, I do know. Yeah. <laughs> we all know. Everybody knows who you are. <laughs> Yeah, so that's been a real thrill. And he's a friend now, you know, because we work together so much and I would say we, we are mates and and I really uh, appreciate his take on the world. He's an intellectual, you know, he's the most well-read person I've ever worked with. And But he doesn't, again, he doesn't really recognise himself as that. So he'll come out with stuff sometimes. We'll all be like, oh, better write that down. I haven't read that. I've never heard of that author. Better educate myself. <laughs> But no, you know, all, all all the people that have wanted to work with him has been thrilling as well. So we've had obviously Frank Skinner and Josie Lawrence and, um, oh my God, I can't even, oh, Wendy Craig. 
are just amazing actors that say, yeah, yeah, I'll come and work with him. I want to be in the Ninth Doctor. So casting those is is really easy. That's lovely. And then the most recent one that I've been doing really is that Rani takes on the world with uh, Anjali Mahindra and Daniel Anthony returning to their roles that they had in the Sarah Jane adventures, which I must confess I hadn't watched until I was given the the job of directing the Rani um, audio dramas. And it's quite a different vibe. It's a very different atmosphere and tone and we've, we've totally captured that in the audios. I'm so excited for people to hear them because I think people are just going to think, yes, that's that's exactly how it should sound. So, so fun. The scripts are so brilliant. Emily's such a fantastic uh, producer, Emily Cook, um, who's obviously moving on to, to other things now in TV and film because she's so amazing. Uh, but yeah, she's she's curated these these three fantastic scripts and I'm sure people are going to love it. Great. She is she is extraordinary. I first met Emily uh, before she was shadowing on the Doctor Who magazine. That's where yeah. she started. Yeah. But she's on this trajectory. She's Absolutely. She's the one to watch people yeah. because she's she's going places. She'll be that way. Well, people. that's where we have to take our film. Oh, yeah. yeah. Then we've written yeah. it. Emily. Emily. Remember us? Yeah. Yeah, no, she's she's going to achieve amazing things. Mm. So yeah, we get to work with some fantastic people. Fantastic people, fantastic people. No, I mean we yeah we get to work with uh, not just the leads and 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 these people that are well known, but every actor that comes along and and anyone that we use again, it, we use them again because we think they're brilliant, but also because we think they're great people. To yeah, they're great to work with. Big finish for the love of stories.